0: not perish. But life. Ah. <laughs> I love this time of year. Uh, this is my, one of my favorite times of year. Actually, I just feel like there's two times of the year really, like the, the beginning of summer and then the beginning of Christmas, and then the beginning of summer, the beginning of Christmas. So I love both of those times of the year. And uh, this year, obviously, is it, no different. I love this time. Of the year. Uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite um, holiday, and I know some of you have already uh, decorated for Christmas. I, uh, I'm, I'm judging you, but I'm not. I'm just kidding! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I love this time of year, seeing the uh, uh, Christmas decorations go up and, and uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and New Year's. It's just a great time of the year. So I look forward to it every year, but that's not the only reason I look forward to this time of the year. Uh, Another reason that I look forward to this time of the year is um, since we started Wellspring four years ago, at the beginning of November, we uh, begin kind of a season of generosity. And so throughout the year, you regularly give um, to to the work here and to the, the work that we do through Wellspring. You regularly are generous. And uh, above and beyond whatever whatever I could have imagined prior to, 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 to planting a church and, and, and praying that God would bring people alongside to do uh, his ministry and his work and that his glory would be shown here in southwest Missouri. Whatever I could have imagined, you have actually gone above and beyond that. And I really, truly mean that. And so you are a generous, generous uh, people. And then, every November, we say, hey, you've been generous all year. How about let's go above and beyond, and let's pack some shoeboxes for kids that most likely you and I will never meet, most likely. And, and then, uh, after we're done with that, let's go ahead and let's have another special offering to, to bless, to bless um, local charities, local organizations Let's go ahead and raise an offering above and beyond what you normally give to bless them and then to bless international missions organizations as well. Let's go ahead and do that. And every year, you have jumped on board and said, let's do it. Let's do it. And this year is no different. Right after this service, we're going to have a (coughs) a, a shoebox packing party to send to kids. And uh, you have, have been enthusiastic about that. I've seen conversations on Online, I've had conversations with you in person, and you're uh, ecstatic about that. And then in a few weeks, I'll have the exact uh, date next week. A few weeks, we'll have another missions offering that we've done every year. And uh, I, I know if the Lord does what he's done in the past, you will you'll, you'll blow my socks off again with your generosity. And this morning, what I wanted to do was answer the question, why? Why do we do that? Why do we give every week? Why are we generous every week? I mean, I'm not gonna stand up here and say, you know, let's go ahead and I want you to give all your money. That, I'm not gonna do that. I don't <laughs> want to compel, I don't want to, I want to be compelling, but I don't want to guilt or or, or or give under compulsion. I mean, but but why do we do that? Why why do we have seasons of generosity? If, if you're a church person like me, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, maybe grew up going to church, maybe you haven't, but if you're if you're like me and you grew up going to church, um, you, you hear this sort of thing and you just go, okay, that's just the thing you do. I mean, you don't ask the question, why? You just do it, right? I mean, I, this, I, I grew up doing it. It's the season you give. It's just the, that thing that you do. But the question still lingers in the back of my mind. Okay, that may be how we've always done it, but why? I mean, why do you Why do, you do it? I mean, the Bible, sure, the Bible tells us to give, yes, but if you're a parent, you know that a compelling reason is, there has to be something more than just telling your kids to do something, right? You want to compel them to do something. You don't just say, do it, and then expect them to do it, especially with a good heart. We've been talking about that in the Smith house all week long. <laughs> and I bet in your house as well. So if, if, if why do we do it? Why does, why do we desire to be a generous people? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's the answer I want to, or that's the question I want to answer this week. And I think the best place to find that answer is in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You see, really the the only reason that we're generous with our time, with our resources, with our talent, with our money. The only reason that we're a generous people, the only reason that I desire for us to be a generous church is because our Heavenly Father, if you know Christ, has been generous to us. In fact, His generosity, I hope you'll see here in just a few minutes, exceeds that which we could ever give. It goes farther, it goes wider, it goes deeper. His generosity towards us is more than we could ever match, than we could ever hope to offer. Let me try to illustrate it. This is unique to Christianity. No other religion believes this, that the world has ever known. This is, this is solely unique to Christianity. You see, every other religion the world has ever known believes that God is, is this being, It's this. For, he's this force, he's, he's this he's, he's this person, maybe, that sits on his cosmic throne, just waiting for us to mess up so he can strike us down. That's what every other religion tells us, that he's this force, and he's just, waiting. Scott, I dare you to mess up. I dare you to mess up, and when you do, I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after you with the full weight of my being. That's what every other religion tells us that God is like. That's not what Christianity believes. And that is not what the Bible teaches about God. A couple weeks ago, I was in Lebanon on the street. I may have told you, I know I did the first service. I, on Wednesday night that I was in the country, we had a QA. Uh, a guy stood up and um, shared his testimony, and then All the people that were there, every single one of them from a Muslim background, every single one of them would have claimed or called themselves a Muslim. Every single person in that room was uh, of the Muslim religion. And this guy, this Christian pastor, stood up and just said, hey, let me just tell you a story about myself. And then I'm willing to answer any questions that you have about about Islam and about Christianity. I'll answer any of them the best that I can. It was in a room about a quarter of this size, about just one corner of this room. And there were about 80 to 100 people jam-packed into this room. In fact, there were people looking inside the door just trying to hear what was going on. It was amazing. And it was an amazing thing to be a part of. After the, the hour and a half uh, testimony time, question and answer time, um, everybody kind of filed out of the room. And I stood on the street in Andrew Lebanon. Andrew, Lebanon. A little city there in in, in Lebanon. And I had this conversation with a Muslim man. And like any uh, Muslim man worth their salt, he had a hard time coming to grips with the fact that Jesus could be God in the flesh. I mean, the, the creator God, he has descended to earth, put on The skin of a man slipped into the sandals of humanity and lived among us. That was a bridge too far for him. A prophet, yes. Like Muhammad, like Moses, like Abraham, yes. But God in the flesh, I just can't get there, Scott, he said. I mean, for a man to claim to be God, that's that's just asking for trouble. I mean, I would be a heretic to believe that a man could be God. And I said, yeah, you know what? I actually agree with you. If a man claimed to be God, that would be a problem. But if God was willing to become a man, who are you and I to say otherwise? Kind of nodded his the a little bit. I said, let me explain what I mean. I said, whenever my wife and I started dating, and our relationship grew, and it got to the point where I was going to ask her to marry To marry me. It would have been unthinkable for me to ask a friend to go and do it on my behalf. Hmm. That would have been crazy. If I, if I had, had begun my, my feelings for Mary Jo began to grow and I said, hey, buddy, I need you to do me a favor, I, you know, some random friend, I need you to go, I need you to tell Mary Joe that I like her. That would have never, that, that could not have possibly happened. And then as our, our love began to grow, I went back to that same friend and said, hey, here's the deal. I really, really like her and I really want to marry her. Can you go ask her for me? He kind of looked at me kind of funny and I said, here's the deal. Love demands a personal request. Love demands a personal response. And if that's true human to human on our level, how amazing is it that the Bible tells us that God showed up because of his love for you and me. His love was so great for us that it demanded a personal appearance. That's generosity. I don't think there's a better text to look at trying to explain this than John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. If you don't have the Bible, it's going to be on the screen. You can can look there or... On your phone, there's a, you can go to the app and uh, find, find it uh, there uh, on, on the YouVersion app. Let me set up what's going on before we get to verse 13. Most famous verse in all the Bible probably. You've seen it in football games. But let me tell you, let me kind of set up what's going on. This religious man in verses 1 through 15, John chapter 3, this religious man shows up and has a conversation with Jesus. His name's Nicodemus. And he says, Hey, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, uh, Jesus, I, I have seen the things that you have done, the signs that you have performed. I have heard the things that you have taught. And I just tell you, you've got to have a special connection with God. I mean, you. An average human being, an average man, doesn't say the things that you say. does it have the power that you claim to have. does it have the power that I've seen you perform. An average man doesn't do that. You've got to have a special connection with God. And then he asks the question, is that true? What I've seen, what I've heard, the conclusion that I've come to, that you have a special connection with God, is that true? And Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Instead Instead, he says this. To have a relationship with God yourself, it's not, it's not about being good. I mean, Nicodemus, if anybody was good, it was Nicodemus. I, my goodness, your goodness is JV compared to his. And, he, and Jesus says that's not what gives you a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God, you must be born again, to which Nicodemus went. I'm not sure I want to go there. I mean, what are you talking about? Born, how do you, he even ask, how do you go back into your mother's womb? To which you and I laugh at that response, but that's how I would have responded. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about a physical birth or rebirth. It's about a spiritual rebirth. You have to have a, a you have to be born again spiritually. Just like you were born physically, you got to be born spiritually. And Nicodemus says, I'm not sure I'm tracking with you, Jesus. And Jesus goes back to an Old Testament story Back in the, in, 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 uh, uh, in the Old Testament, that's, you know, that's just like I just said, goodness <laughs> gracious, back in the Old Testament, he, he goes back he kind of reaches back there to a story that Nicodemus would have understood, would have known. And it's this story about the Israelites. The Israelites um, began to be uh, bit by snakes and they were dying. And Jesus, or, or God said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a serpent. I want you to lift it up, and any person that looks on that serpent, looks up to that serpent, will be saved. Their their life will not end physically. Jesus said, soon the Son of Man, myself, he's talking about himself, is going to be raised up on a cross. And any person who looks to me, who looks to the Son of God, who looks to the Son of Man, those are names that he gives himself, looks to me, will be saved. Not physically, but spiritually. Nicodemus is going, okay, I kind of understand what you're talking about. And then Jesus explains further when he gets to verse 16. And here's what Jesus says about the generosity of our Heavenly Father. Verse 16. For God so loved the world, that you and me, and six billion plus other people walking this globe, every corner, every tribe, every nation, every color of skin, every language, the Bible says that our Heavenly Father loves them. And here is what is so amazing to me about this that, that the Creator God, the Creator of the world, knows us better than we know ourselves. Here's what that means. He knows us on our worst day. He doesn't know the Facebook version of us. He doesn't know just the Facebook version of us. He doesn't know just the social media version of us. No, he knows us to our core. He knows us at our worst. And the Bible says, even though he knew us at our worst, he still loves us. The thing that you hope nobody will find out. The thing that comes to your mind when when you're laying asleep at night and everybody else in your house is asleep. And it keeps you awake at night from guilt. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father, God, the Creator of this world, knows even that. And the Bible declares that He loves you in spite of it. And He loves me in spite of it as well. That's generosity. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but if you do, I would even circle the word so. Because his love for us doesn't stop at at just the understanding of love that you and I have. The Bible says that he so loved us. That is a measure that goes beyond what we can imagine, what we can hope, what we can think. He loves us so. And he goes on. For God so loved the world that he did what people who love do. He gave his only son. He gave his only son. Now what's amazing to me about this is that God initiated this love. He initiated this love. He's the one in our brokenness, in our sin, in our, in our mess of this life. God moves towards us. He initiates a love relationship with us when He sent His Son. It's not me initially moving to God, but God moving to me, initiating a love relationship with me, offering a love relationship to me that I have been invited to respond to. God moves towards me in the middle of my mess when He sent His Son. I love this because... This morning, I know what it's like to get to church with your family. You drag the kids out of bed. You throw their Sunday best on. You comb their hair. And then you scream at each other all the way to church. And then you pull into the driveway. I mean, come on. This is church. We don't have to be honest here, right? Then you pull into the church. You pull into the driveway. You turn around to the kids. You better put the smile on your face. Act like we're happy. Let's go. Let's get inside. You get inside. You're like, hey, yeah. How's everything? Great. Just having a great day. Great day, right? I mean, this happens in the Smith house too. That's why I get up early and get here before everybody else. <laughs> and in the middle of that reality, the Bible says that God sent his only son because he so loved you and loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave His only son. God loved, and he did what people who love do. He gave his only son. He goes on. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes, we got to stop and talk about that word believe, because here in southwest Missouri, where church is kind of a part of our DNA, it it, it kind of. you can't, you can't you know, go about life without talking about God or, or church or, some, or some, something along that, that, that uh, line of thinking. I mean, it's just kind of weaved into our DNA on some level. And so as a result of that, a lot of us believe in Jesus like we believe in JFK. Like we know he was a president. We know that he, he did some good things. He saved us from a, a, a war with Russia. When we've seen the movie, I've seen the movie. And so we believe in in Jesus the way we believe in JFK. But that's not what this word is talking about. This This word believes means that we have to believe that he is who he claimed to be. And he is who he says he is. Let me tell you what that is. Who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God's only son. He, he came down, slipped into the sandals of humanity, lived a perfect life. He never sinned, not one time. And because of, of his love for us, because of our sin, he willingly went to the cross, stretched out his arms and his hands, nails driven through them, and then said, if you want to have a relationship with God, you got to come through me. That's what the word believes means. It's not just an intellectual ascent. The gentleman that I had a conversation with on the streets a couple weeks ago, Muslim man, believed in Jesus on an intellectual level. But he did not believe that he was who he claimed to be or whom he claimed to be. This word believes means that we have to come to Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus is on his terms, not on ours. And it goes on. God so loved the world. God loved, God gave. God gave. Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. I put it put it like this. God loved, God gave. If we believe, we'll receive eternal life. <coughs> will not perish. That means that you will not spend. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God, but will have eternal life. Eternal life. You know, I think that's inside of all of us. This understanding that there's got to be something beyond this life. Here's here's why I say that. I've had I've had conversations and I've done funerals with people that that um, don't don't accept Christ. They don't accept Christianity. They don't they don't believe. Um, the, the things that I believe are our family beliefs. And I've had, I, church is not a part of their routine, it just, um, just not, they don't, their belief system's not like mine. Or what the Bible teaches, I hope is the same. But they still, inside of them, think there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more than just this. I mean, they, their loved one's there in a casket before them. They see their, their body there, but they know just inside their heart. And I think it's something that's, that, that, that's put there by, 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 by God, by the Holy Spirit. They know there's got to be something more. It's just inside of us. It's put there. We're wired that way by, by, our, by our Heavenly Father, by our Creator. And Jesus says, you want to have eternal life? That thing that's wired inside of you? And understand God loved, God gave. If you believe, you can receive it. That is generosity. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I think the world needs to hear that. God's not there on his cosmic throne waiting for you and me to mess up. He already knows us at our worst and he so loved us anyway. He's not there. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus here to love us and he sent Jesus here so that we could have a relationship with the Father. We know inside of our hearts and inside of our minds, we know we're condemned already. We don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to tell me I've messed up. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm a train wreck. I don't need anybody to tell me that I fall short of being the dad that I want to be, of being the husband that I want to be, of being the pastor that I want to be. I know that myself. I don't need anybody else to condemn me. And the Bible tells me that God didn't send his son to do that. I know I'm condemned already. And that's why the gift of his son so amazing to me. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I've told this story before, but I think it illustrates the point well. When I was sixth grader, I was sitting on the second row, kind of on the left side of the the podium. It was the end of a regular service just like this, and And uh, the offering had been passed at the church that I grew up in. And uh, a man came off from the right side across the sanctuary. This is a big, big old church. And on the other side of the sanctuary, came up to the stage, said something to the pastor, and the pastor handed him the microphone. The guy stood up and he said, hey, here's the deal. God has been generous to me this year. Things have been going well, but I have been Stingy. I haven't been generous in return. I haven't haven't lived my life with an open hand where God gives generously and then I am I am a blessing and and offer generosity to those around me. I've been stingy. And I need to stand before my church family and repent of that. And I don't have a lot of earthly valuables or anything like that. But one thing I do have is I have this ring. He took off the ring and he said, This is my great-granddad's ring, and he gave it to my dad, and my dad gave it to me. And this morning, what I want to do, because I, I don't have anything of great value, but I know that I've been a, been sinning. I haven't been generous, like, like I know I'm supposed to be generous. I want to give this ring to the church. I don't know how much it's worth. I've never had it appraised, anything like that. But I want to give it. So all I had that week after he gave it, everybody clapped. I was like, holy cow, I've never seen anything like this happen in church before. It's awesome. And nobody compelled him. Nobody guilted him. Nothing. It was an outflow of the generosity that he had received from his heavenly father. That was it. He said, I want to give this to the church. They had it appraised, worth about $9,000. Somehow three men found out about it, and they bought the ring from the church. The very next Sunday, the pastor stood up and said, We had it appraised, worth $9,000. Three men stepped up, bought this ring, and they want to give it back. That's what generosity looks like on an earthly level. But you know what? You can't guilt somebody into that. You can't can't compel somebody with rules to respond and to act like that. The only reason people respond that way is because they understand that their Heavenly Father has been generous beyond comprehension to them. And the natural result, the natural outflow, the natural response is generosity to those that are around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us this morning. Generosity that's beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. You, perfect creator, sent your only Son. this world to become like creation. Slipped into the sandals of humanity, lived perfectly, died, and rose victoriously. And you did it because you so loved us. Not on our best day, on our worst day. Not when we had things to get together, but when our life was a mess. You loved us on that day. You were generous to us on that day, and you saved us from it. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would experience that, would know that. <clears throat> in Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat>